Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Megan Lynch Chowning. We recorded this in August at the home of Rachel Bayman and George Jackson in Nashville, Tennessee. It's Get Up in the Cool Month. I'm spending a little extra time in these intros to ask you to support the show because Get Up in the Cool is listener-funded and it can't exist without Patreon subscribers. I, of course, want everyone to chip in, but maybe this week I'll just focus on a specific type of listener. Some of you listen every week, and in between new episodes, you catch up on the back catalog. If that describes your relationship with Get Up in the Cool, and you're not already supporting the show, please consider going to patreon.com slash getupinthecool and signing up at a level that you can sustain. I could really use your help. Shout out to Lisa Shea, who signed up to support the podcast last week, and to Josh Cothran, who raised their pledge amount. Thank you both so much, and thanks to everyone who keeps the show going every week. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with Megan Lynch Chowning, especially if you live in California, because she's on tour there starting tomorrow. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. already a little sweaty out here. Yeah. I'm telling you. It's not the heat, it's humidity. Yeah. Megan Lynch Chowning, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you, Cameron DeWitt. I appreciate it. This is a really lovely moment for me because early on in my 
old time music life. Mm-hmm. Back when it the was the beginning just, of the journey. The beginning of the uh-huh. journey. Uh, I came to Nashville Clawhammer Camp. Mm-hmm. I drove by myself down from Philly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I slept in some rest stop in my car, like in, in the middle. I'm glad you made it. Yeah, me too. It seems dangerous. I listen yeah. to a lot of true crime podcasts, <laughs> so that doesn't seem like a really good bet, yeah. but go on. And uh, yeah, and you you put on this lovely camp. I think it was the first claw hammer camp. I know it there have been, might have been yeah. different iterations uh-huh. uh, since, but um, who, who all was there? It was uh, Adam Hurt. If it was Brad Leftwich, and then Brad it was, yeah. Leftwich, uh-huh. Leroy Troy was there. Oh. And John Balch. Yes. And, and Tyler Andel. Yes, that was the very first I one. I think that's, yeah. That, that's it. That was, that was an amazing thing because that was when I really first got to know Adam Hurt, too. And so I'm glad you were there for that because now yeah. it's been going on for so long. I, don't, I barely remember the beginning, yeah. you know? So it's nice to see you in, that, in this space now. Yeah. It was such a lovely um, ex- experience for me to have like an intimate learning environment uh, where everyone was so encouraging and I just gobbled up as much as I could and I feel like that was the boost that I needed to, oh. to jump into playing traditional music and and it's so lovely to, oh. have, <laughs> to have you That's on. That's really cool. Like, this is where I've come with it so far and uh yeah it's a little little emotional for me i yeah (laughs) i get that and you know that camp and leading up to that camp has a lot of really good memories for me and it means a lot that that it did something for you in that regard because when my husband and i were talking about doing these camps and the vision for them i had been doing fiddle camps leading up to that and before he and i got married in 2012 and I don't know. It always just felt like sort of normal, sort of natural. I'd been to it, you know, I'd been teaching at fiddle camps forever. And it just sort of seemed like a natural extension of my teaching um, to start doing fiddle camps of my own. But then when he and I got married and he started suggesting, let's branch out, let's do other instruments. Mm. When when he brought up, brought up claw hammer banjo, I felt a little intimidated by the idea because I didn't really play much old time. I didn't really know the old time community very well, but it was, he said, my husband plays claw hammer banjo, or at that time he liked to say, well, I'm more of a jackhammer <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I know some great jackhammer yeah, banjo yeah, players. Not as much nuance, maybe, yeah. you know, um, he's a lot, a uh, lot more nuanced now, but back then, you know, and he just said, I just want to have a camp so that we can have a reason to have Adam Hurt come to the house. Yeah. And John Balch, that was sort of like, because he had dealt with John um, in terms of uh, getting hide heads and stuff like yeah. that. And he was just like, best I just, the best in the biz, uh, the yeah. in the biz yeah. right? And he was like, I just love his energy. I love the way that he talks, like the interactions that we've had. So I just want them to come to the house. So let's do a camp as an excuse for that. Yeah. He's like, and then if we get those people, then the people who come to the camp will be the right people because they will want to come be with those people, you know? And he's like, and then we'll just have this house full of really cool energy people. And that's exactly what happened, you know? And then Adam Hurt and I ended up becoming dearest friends Mm. and making a record together and all that kind of stuff. And that all, and you were there for that. And so now that all these things that have happened and you're doing what you're doing and I'm doing what I'm doing, 
it's pretty cool that we get to come back together Absolutely. like this. Absolutely, yeah. I guess, I guess I didn't realize that that was the, the start of mm-hmm. your collaborations with, yeah. with Adam. It's really special. Yeah, and it was really my, uh, it was Adam Chowning, my husband, who was just like, you're just, you're, you're going to get him and he's going to get you and yeah. you guys are going to be, and, and he was absolutely right, yeah. you know, so... Yeah, I, I mean, it makes a lot of sense just playing this tune with you. Uh, your your relationship with what the tune is and what its anchor points are and how you vary around mm-hmm. it. Um, it feels very old time to me when I'm playing with you, but it feels like this specific kind of um, fancy old time. <laughs> but it still feels very old time. And I feel like some people like to like erase fancy old time. Fancy old time is a thing. Listen, fancy is the old, fancy old time is the only way I can live because I'm a Texas style fiddler by trade. Okay, I was, right? I was, so I, was I can't unfancy. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I can't. Um, it is in my DNA at this point, and so the amount of fancy you just heard me play in that is literally sort of the least. <laughs> Like, that's the most restrained I can be. <laughs> and it's really good for me because yeah. I spent a lot of my childhood, a lot of my growing up, feeling unbelievably under pressure to, in in sort of real layman's terms, every single eight bars had to be different than the eight bars that came before. I see. Under, under threat of death. In, okay, so... <laughs> Who is threatening you? Blink twice. Are you okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god! I know. Um, do you need to be extricated from this yeah. situation? Um, yeah. Well, no. That's what the therapy was for. Okay, great. <laughs> so, <laughs> the EMDR did a lot, you know, great. to to help me work through that. It's why I can talk about it now, yeah. you know. Um, Your was... eye movements are like varying <laughs> every. Exactly. Eight. <laughs> my, I am reparenting yeah. my younger self as we speak. Yeah. Um, no, it was, it was this contest fiddle thing, and it is the great dichotomy of my growing up as a musician, which is that without the contests, I don't know that I'd be here today. Yeah. But also, there was a lot to overcome from what that taught me, good and bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And... When I was coming up, so I'm 47, and so I started competing seriously when I was like, I was doing eight or ten contests a year by the time I was six. So that's early 80s, right? And up until that... you were six, wow. Yeah. That's so much, yeah. I, I, I entered my first contest when I had just turned five. I'd been five for two months. And... um that was that, man. I, I hit the ground running. I liked it. My mom liked it. We found a community, you know, which is often, you know, it's like old time gatherings or anything. You find people. And, and so we made some friends and it just seemed fun to go to the events and all that kind of stuff. And I, I've always been a really strategic person. And so it spoke to that skill for me. And for, I can remember as a young, young kid, having conversations with my teachers about who was going to be judging XYZ contests and planning my tunes and the versions of the tunes that I would play based on that. Right. I can remember when I first got my driver's license and you know, this is, should probably have been arrested, but I had a, (laughs) I had a piece of paper and a pen and I'd be driving to Idaho for like the national fiddle championships 
writing out my rounds because you know you're going through like Winnemucca it's just straight for yeah. 400 miles or whatever so you just you know I'd, and I'd be taking notes and, and planning out my things that kind of stuff spoke to the kind of person that I naturally am yeah and so contests made sense to me like yeah. I loved that part of it but a big part of what wins is varying everything that you're doing, showing, yeah. you know, different variations, different techniques. It's like figure skating or whatever. Sure. But at the same time, what that told me was, if you don't do that, yeah. then you're not going to be, you're not going to be loved. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> you're not going to win yeah. slash to the be therapy. loved. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. And so old time's been really good for me hmm. because I've, I've come closer to finding that balance of like, it's okay to do something twice or three times yeah. or four times because the Zen of it yeah. has now be, has now replaced the excitement of winning. Yeah. You know, it's a different huh. pursuit. Wow. I love that. You're just like, I'm not having to like dig around for a narrative at all. You're just like, <laughs> here's my, here it is headline. Like, here's my thesis statement. It's, uh, it's, you're doing my job always, for me. It's perfect. <laughs> I was always really good at those kinds of essays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course you were. Yeah. Sure. Um, again, so yeah. my brain works. Also, you have to remember that, um, all my life I've been, I mean, I've been teaching since I was 14. Right. So there's that. So I talk like that anyway, but since the pandemic and I've been doing these zoom workshops and I've been doing them constantly I have not you know I, I was doing them once a week through the first like year and a half of lockdown and I'm still doing them but that is up to like two hours sometimes of talking into a camera yeah. presenting a narrative yeah. with no feedback other than right because you know, they're all muted yeah. yeah baby so that you can do your thing yeah exactly so yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> how that goes <laughs> but I'm also I'm I've always figured that Understanding my own journey and my own story is incredibly important to helping other people understand theirs. Yeah. And that's my job as a teacher, right? right? Because if I can help people understand what their journey is going to look like and what it already has been, then I can keep them playing the fiddle. The fiddle is really hard to play. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's really, really hard. <laughs> it's freaking hard. The great Lori Lewis, my, my friend Lori Lewis, um, bluegrass songwriting legend Lori Lewis said the fiddle's not so bad it's just the first 10 years that are the hardest <laughs> and so it is my job it's more my job to help people figure out that journey so that they will keep playing than it is to actually teach them anything sure you know it's to get them over, over like get, give them the coping skills to that's it to persist that's it yeah so hmm. the more i can understand about what <clears throat> has kept me playing and what has made me put it down when I've ever put it down, yeah. the more I can spot those things with my students and help them, you know? Yeah. That's, that's my, that's my whole job. That's my gig, yeah. man. All right. I have so many follow-up questions, but let's play another tune first. What Great. do you want to play? I want to play, um, can we play, can we play Leather Bridges? How yeah, are you about G right now? Uh, yeah, I'm there. Can you, can you be about G? <laughs> All right, let's play some leather bridges. Right. 
Fun. So fun. It's sweaty and fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's good for us. Um, I found myself working into my vocabulary. Uh, I think I stole it from some other podcast, but the term sort of sweaty to mean effortful. Oh, uh, interesting. Which is, mm-hmm. I think is interesting because you're talking mm-hmm. about exerting effort to oh, right. appear less effortful. <laughs> Yes. Uh, something I wanted to ask you is yeah. uh, people could generally agree that one of the main purposes of music is playing. there is there anything that can people can generally agree I'm gonna on? It, I'm going to try. <laughs> we'll see. A strong 75%? Yeah. Okay, great. I'm in. That I think people can generally agree that mm-hmm. one of the main purposes of, of music making mm-hmm. is pleasure. Sure. Sometimes competition yep and strategy sure and problem solving and all of those things sometimes can be um obstacles mm-hmm. to pleasure or can be distracting from pleasure because you're thinking maybe about like sort of security or um maybe even power uh mm-hmm. in in the spaces that you're in sure. and I don't want you to feel like you have to rehash all of your therapy <laughs> like here, but I, I'm, I'm I mean, cur- I spent enough money on it. Yeah. I mean, let's do yeah, it. Let's sure. Get your money's worth. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, what was your relationship to pleasure and music as a kid, even amidst all of that stuff? Or did you have to learn? You seem like you're having a good time playing now. So I like, got it. I got, I got, I get the question. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So, couple things. Number one, um, I will never not look like I'm having a good time for a couple of reasons. Okay. Um, first and foremost, the great Evelyn Horner, and I'm just going to give a shout out to Evelyn Horner, who was my first full-time fiddle teacher. Now, I had a teacher before that, Dr. Bill Jacoby, um, and but Evelyn was my first full-time fiddle, fiddle teacher, um, and I started taking lessons from her and then was immediately in her touring kids fiddle group. Okay. And we traveled around, um, fiddle kids and company. I will have, you know, and there are photos. Um, I, I'm happy to Matching share them with the, outfits. 
Are you kidding? Yeah. Red and white gingham checked outfits. Oh, um, wow. Like sort of an apron style dress. Yeah. Um, petticoat skirts. Sure. You um, all look like a, a picnic, I'm sure. Yes, it yeah. just looked like if you'd laid anyone out of yeah. on top, you could just put hot dogs on. It. Yes, the whole thing. Exactly. As you pictured it. Um, we all clogged. We played Bob Wills medleys and Orange Blossom Special yeah. and the whole thing. Wow. And we traveled around and played gigs. We played at Marriott's Great America and, you know, whatever. Santa Cruz Boardwalk, all that kind of thing. And I learned very early on about performing and smiling. And um, that if you're playing music in front of people, even if it's just one person or a camera or a microphone or whatever, people are there to experience that and to be entertained. Right. And um, Pam Tillis, the country singer that I worked for for many years, said, and I'm sure she's not the first to say it, but she used to say people hear with their eyes. Yeah. And so I can't not, at least in terms of body, you know, listen, the other the other reason that I was going to point out besides Evelyn and the Shasta Old Time Fiddle Kids or Fiddle Kids and Company is I spent many years in show choir. Okay. Yeah. So in a very successful show choir and um I'm, you know, and musical theater and all of that, you know, so my face, it just, it, you know, sure. it does what it does. But at the same time, like, so it's, it's not always, you know, jazz hands and <laughs> raised eyebrows, but I do think that our body language as players, I think that if we incorporate good body language and facial expressions or whatever, it actually helps us enjoy the music more. Huh. And it helps the people who we are playing for yeah. enjoy it more. And I I think it's important. I think that we forget sometimes, no matter what, no matter how esoteric the music is that we are playing. And I don't generally play particularly esoteric music. I just play small music. <laughs> you know what I sure. mean? Um, but people are still there to hear it and be entertained by it. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. You gotta, you yeah. know? So... I don't even know anymore if I'm enjoying it, <laughs> but that's, that is part of my, really interesting. that's part of the thing. The other thing that I think a lot about is that, and I've, I've really come to terms with the fact that the fiddle for me is really more of a vehicle than anything. I was born to teach and plan events. Yeah. That's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And huh. the fiddle turned out to be the vehicle through which I do that. So I win a bunch of contests and tour with people and do the things that I can put on the resume right. so that then people will come to my camps or take lessons from me. Yeah. Because I have to have that. You can't just go teach something that people don't believe that you can do, right? Sure. You know, yeah, that doesn't absolutely. make any sense. But the, the end result, I'm doing what I do now. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And the fiddle, the fiddle is what got me there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when I'm playing, I'm, I'm often thinking about how people are going to be perceiving it in terms of I want people to hear me play and I want it to be accessible to them. Yeah. And so when they see me looking like I'm having a good time, I think that translates to people. I hope that's, that's what I'm going for. You know, Sure. I want people to see me play and go, I want to do that. And I think maybe I could because I see her doing that. And I think I could do that. That's like my biggest thing. If I can go to bed at night feeling like I helped somebody feel like they could do it. Good. Good for the day. I really appreciate that your um, your answer is challenging some like dichotomous ideas of like artifice versus like authenticity. 
and you're you're saying mm, it's it's, it's not, not so that, black and white. It's not so black and white, and like what yeah. you're doing is part of your. I mean, you're teaching. Yeah. When you're performing, you're teaching enjoy like how to enjoy playing music and how to feel about the music. Because how, how genuine is any of it? Yeah. Like, what is authenticity, right? Yeah. I mean, we can get into a really, you know, philosophical discussion about that. But, like, this idea that you have to be one thing or another. You and I both know. And you can look at this in from any perspective. You can look at it from music, politics, religion, yeah. whatever. You can put a person up on the stage yeah. and put ten people in a row. And five of those people will say... That is the most authentic, sure. genuine thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And the other five people will go, that is a bunch of, you know, for uh, hooey, yeah. malarkey. Yeah. You could swear cusses on the show <laughs> if you want. Um, that is bullshit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And absolutely. so, so there's no, there's no, there's no promise of anybody believing in what you do. Yeah. So the way I look at it is like, I'm, I'm going to put out there what I genuinely care about yeah. and then the right people will come to that and they will believe in me. And then hopefully the people who don't aren't the people that are supposed to connect to me anyway. Sure. What is for you will not pass you by. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's how I think about it. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, we have a whole, the rest of the interview, I feel like I need to go, <laughs> Go sit and think about the things that you're telling me and think about my life. Why don't you go think about what I've done? Yeah. <laughs> Come back. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I'm just thinking about this this very show, which is like the whole kind of uh, pretense of the show is like authentic, you know, conversation mm -hmm. and, and music making. Uh, but I've had this thing happen multiple times on the show where because I am trying to be hospitable and have a conversation that other people will appreciate. Of course. I actually end up connecting with my guest more than maybe I would otherwise. And then sometimes the, those people become my dearest friends. Right. Not, not everyone. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's not put too much yeah, pressure yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I, I think that friendships and connections with people... So... As I said before, I'm, you know, I'm older than you by a generation and change. And one of the things that's happened since I've been in my 40s, I think specifically, and since I've been doing more camps and teaching full time and been off the road, um, is this idea of authenticity. And what I've found is that my friend circle has gotten smaller, but much more meaningful, right? Yeah. And much more just... Um, much more authentic, you know, we're going to use those words, of course, you know, throughout this, this interview and, you know, to maybe to the extent that it seems trite, but I, it, it isn't, if I, if I say it, I, you know, I mean, and I feel like looking at your journey as, as much as I know about it, you know, from when I met you at the camp to now, that has been your search. And I also see the people that you surround yourself with. And I think that you probably come at this at the same, you know, in the same way that I do, which is, you know, this is, we don't, all we've got is this, right? Yeah. Whatever, however many years we are on this planet. And 
Um, I, I, th- I think so. I mean, some I people tend don't to think, think so. so. Sure, yeah, and and that is yeah. that's an interesting thing. I, I'll just say this. So, I had a really interesting experience. This is fairly tangential, but forgive me. I think it's it speaks to what. Before, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, right? live for, I live for it. Yeah. It's either this or I'm going to tell you some sort of true crime story I just thought, I heard. Okay, but <laughs> I have a, a new student, brand new student, just had our first lesson. And she came to me through uh, friends of friends, um, people that she knows. And she's trying to learn to play bluegrass. And she's yeah. played some classical violin. And she, she came to me to learn to play some bluegrass. And um, we had a great lesson. I, I felt like it was great and I, I've got a pretty good sense of it now, you know, and I could see that she was excited about what we were going to do yeah. and, you know, that kind of stuff. And she sent me an email back saying it was a great lesson, mm. best lesson ever. So excited about, you know, where we're going. And a couple of days later, she sent me or she followed me on Instagram. Yeah. So I just quick dropped over there to see. And we could not be. I don't know how big the spectrum would have to be of just life beliefs and ways of viewing the world. Yeah. However big it is, we couldn't be further apart. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I've spent the last, this happened like three days ago. It's all I've thought about. Yeah. And I've been thinking about, okay, so I suspected some of that based on where she lives what she does for a living. I kind of sure. put some ideas together. Yeah. But I also know that we genuinely connected as teacher and student. Yeah. And all of that. And so I've been thinking a lot about what is authentic. Cause I knew pretty early on that I was going to maybe mute some of my, the, yeah. my analogies, right? <laughs> like yes. for example, I, you know, I, I'm, I, whenever I'm trying to teach somebody something or, you know, do an exposition of something that I'm trying to show them, got 10, 10 analogies, right? At the yeah. ready. And I, and they sort of go along a spectrum. Yeah. And so is it inauthentic for me to choose one of those analogies knowing, yeah. right? Right. What I already kind of suspected and then right. what was confirmed by seeing her Instagram account? Sure. I don't think so because I do have a job. My job is to teach her. Right. And the more I can connect with her without right. putting barriers in between. Right. I also think that, you know, there's many debates about this, but can I get her to soften some of her worldviews yeah. by connecting with me and having this relationship with me. And then six months down the road, yeah. finding out how far we are on some of these apart. Yeah. And then she can go, but, but we were so right. Simpatico. Yeah. How can that be? Like, yeah. is that inauthentic? Right. Or is it just, a, or is it hospitable? Is it hospitable? Right. Yeah. I don't know that she and I are going to be like, best of friends sure i mean i can see you and me hanging out sure <laughs> any day of the week um because we already have so many things you haven't checked my instagram yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that yeah. um, but like you know we already have so many foundational things but like right. i think music i it's oh it's so trite it seems so but i think it can bridge gaps yeah and i think those relationships can yeah. do good yeah. in the world and so do i have to maybe make some choices that aren't the first thing that would come out of my mouth normally. Yeah. But is it for the greater good? I think so. You know, I, that's, but that's the kind of stuff I think about every day when I wake up and I, and I realize like, this is why I'm supposed to do this job. Like I don't ever dread my job because I get to think about stuff like this all day. And that's a fun challenge. 
I've made huge changes in my life because of the people that I was playing music with and I was connecting with them so much and then it was making me think about the rest of my life okay. and like thinking could I invite these people into the rest of my life and would they feel welcome right and then some of the times I was like no right and then in <laughs> so then the question yeah. becomes what do you change which part of right. that you know how do you how do you man or how do you answer yeah. that question Sometimes that's an okay answer. Yeah. Sometimes that's okay. Yeah. I'll just keep that person in right. this part. But then you might look and say, but you know what? I think my life would be better yeah. <laughs> if this person was 360 yeah. in my life. Yeah. Right? So Tristan Scroggins, who we, is a mutual friend of ours um, and who you know is a dear friend of mine, has done a lot of that for me mm. in terms of like neurodivergency. Mm. Right? And... And we've had many, many conversations and sent each other things back and forth, yeah. you know, TikToks, Instagram, whatever, you know, what, whatever the language is, you know, <laughs> how people communicate. But it has gotten me thinking in many ways and has allowed me to be uh, compassionate yeah. and empathetic in ways that I was not and has helped me find ways to maintain my um my irony and sarcasm of which I am so proud and is a part of sure. who I am, but with a new compassionate overlay and yeah. a new empathetic overlay. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And there are plenty of things to be ironic and sarcastic about. Yeah. And you can still be compassionate and empathetic toward other people. Yeah. You know, and he's a person that as a friend, I'm so grateful for that because he's given me some, some ways of looking at the world, you know? Yeah. So, that's what I'm thinking about with this new student. It's like, maybe, yeah. you know, I can sneak some of that stuff in there. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I could, I mean, let's talk more off mic <laughs> about that. Yeah, I have so many more specific things to say that maybe I don't want to say on record. Well, but, sure. Uh, Absolutely. Let's play another time. Yeah. What's next? Let's do... I'm thinking of like, like... Like sweet classic tunes is all I can keep thinking Let's play about. Play chestnuts, right? Yeah. I love a chestnut. Um, can we play like Saint Anne's Real? Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it actually hasn't been done very often on the show. Great. Like maybe like. I think I did an Acadian version once. Love that. So, yeah. So let's do it. Do you know? Um, this is really random, but I, I ended up playing when I was with Pam Tillis. We played a show, in. St. John. No, in Moncton, New Brunswick. Okay. And we had a night off. And the guy who was promoting the show, we played at some sort of like hall. Just like a hall. I don't even know what it was there for. It was a hall. And we had this night off. And I knew that I was in like Acadian country. Yeah. Kind of. So I asked him, I'm like, this is really random. But is there like a pub where there might be some trad music that I could just go and like, just get a pint and sit and, you know, watch some, and he was like, I can't think of anything, but you could come to my house. Yeah. And I was like, what? He was like, just, I'll be, I'll be around to pick you up at six. And I was like, you definitely could be an ax murderer, but let's right. just go with that. So I showed up to his house, met his wife, kids. It was a, just a whole lobster whiskey throwdown, just like just Sounds a table great. full of lobster and whiskey <laughs> and then the door opened it was a condo it was just a, like a con like a two-story condo 
the door opened and these people just started filing in and it was his entire family. His mother was one of 13 children and they all played. Yeah. And here come the fiddles and the keyboards and the guitars mm. and the whatever. And it was just this massive Acadian jam. And it was one cool. of the most unbelievable nights of my life. And then at the very end, the two of the guys were like, let's go out and get some more beers or whatever. And I was like, all right, I'm up for it. And then they, they asked, you know, what kind of music I normally played. And then they asked me if I knew Caleb Clauder. Yeah. And I was like, I do, I do. And they were like, no, you don't. I was like, I do. I'm like, you want to call him? And they're like, no. <laughs> and so we called him from like outside some pub in Moncton and they almost shit themselves, Aww. I think. And Caleb was super sweet. And I was such a hero. Yeah. Oh God. I was like, <laughs> the bell of the ball. Right. But we're just going to play like the regular. Yeah, yeah. That sounds fine. Okay, let's play St. Anne's Real because it's such a nice tune. All right. Thank you. 
lovely tune. What a good tune. It's a classic. It's, it's a classic, classic for a reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. So as you're telling me about your competitive childhood, mm -hmm. and, and I, I wanted to, when I asked you about pleasure in music, yeah. you were like, I don't know. I don't know. But. Yes. The violin is a vehicle for mm -hmm. what you like to do and what I'm assuming maybe is the thing that gives you pleasure, which is teaching and organizing yeah. and facilitating. Yeah. Uh, why do you like doing that? There are so many people who really don't like teaching and organizing and facilitating and have to because... Thank God, yeah. because... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Luckily, that right. leaves room for me to do it. Yeah. Um, why do I like that. doing it? Is I it a corrective experience at all? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'll tell you this. Um, a lot of the teaching I did, like the first 20 years, was my own version of therapizing myself. Yeah in that I taught a lot of contest kids and I yelled at a lot of contest parents. Wow. And I got into kerfuffles wow. at contests with judges and organizers and things yeah. trying to right the wrongs that I felt were systemically yeah. part of the situation. Can you give some examples? Cause I'm not um, that familiar with con the contest fiddling specifics. You bet. You bet. What are some so, wrongs systemically there? Systemically, so I will say in terms of the Southeast, um, one of the biggest issues I have is that you don't get your score sheets back. Yeah. What the hell? Right. Contests are, are billed right. as a, um, a learning experience. Sure. For kids. Yeah. For older people, it's like, I'm just going to go and play yeah. in the contest and have fun and whatever. And like, you know, Tyler Andall knows two really kick-ass tunes on every single instrument. And he goes to contests and yeah. wins a bunch of divisions yeah. and like, you know, <laughs> brings home money and, and loves doing it. And, yeah. and doesn't seem to really stress out about it all that much. Yeah. Unbelievably well-adjusted in that regard, wow. right? Love that about, love that for him. Um, <laughs> but, but it is billed as, um, like if you're a teacher... The parents are like, oh, I want to take my kid to this contest and so they can get better and then they can be judged and see. And, it, you know, it's like this this vehicle for for improving. Well, how the hell are you supposed to know yeah. what you've done right or wrong? Yeah. And I have literally stood toe to toe with contest organizers who are like, well, you know, that's just going to make parents mad. I'm like, you know, what makes parents mad is is wild speculation. Yeah. I said, I, yeah. you know, and I literally have said to contest organizers, I stand by every score that I give. Yeah. And I would love an opportunity to write some comments and say some things. When I, I told you I was in show choir, when we would go to show choir competitions, now keep in mind the 80s, it was the 90s, <laughs> um, they had cassette recorders with little microphones. Yeah. And they would be positioned around the auditorium and they would press record the beginning of your performance and then they would talk into the microphone yeah. while you were performing and then after that you would go back as a group and listen to the feedback from the from the judges yeah and that was awesome because you you would hear like oh they love that thing that we did or, or that you know harmonic thing that you, but whatever or mm, we need to work on that blah blah right that was great and then we would use that stuff to improve so that's that's an example yeah. of a systemic issue that yeah. i think is um ridiculous. I think, um, you know, just not having that interaction. If, if the judges that you've hired are valid and many, in many cases they are, yeah. they have important things to share, right? Let them share. 
Right. You know? And then that gives people also the the dignity to decide to not take the feedback because they're like, oh, I actually don't value that feedback and this is just part of competitions and I want to keep doing that thing that they didn't like. Yep. I, I enjoy, yeah. uh, I'll give you, uh, sure. right? Yeah. <laughs> that lick right there makes me want to hurl myself off a bridge. <laughs> I hate it with every fiber of sure, my being. Sure, sure. <laughs> but I want to say that to people. Right. And now, if they make the musical decision yeah. to include it, I don't like it. But I'm going to judge it as right. intended, right? Right, right. But I want to have that conversation with somebody. Yeah. I want to say, listen, if you're going to do that, it better be clean. It better be in tune. Yeah. You know, you better bring it. Now, I'm going to do my level best, right. <laughs> you know, to stay objective. Yeah. So that's one thing. And so going back to the original thing yeah. about the pleasure part of it, I got great pleasure from, even as a kid, from planning out my contest rounds and from learning new tunes. Yeah. I got, I got so excited. I would bring my tape recorder. I would record other people's contest rounds or people in the warm-up room doing something, whatever. And then I would go home. Um, my best friend, Julie Barnes, um, she and I would, we were both big baseball fans when we were growing up. And we would um, watch the Oakland A's games on TV. Hmm. And we would go into separate rooms and we'd each learn a tune from a cassette that we had. And then we'd come back out and teach each other that yeah. tune. And it was a little bit competitive because it was like, who could sure. do it first, right? Sure. Who could who could finish their Crafton's Blues or their, you know, Topeka Polka first, whatever. Um, I got great pleasure out of that. I loved that. The playing of the music didn't, I, I didn't care one way or the other. Yeah. But I loved a lot of the processes around it. And then I loved yeah. teaching it to the people right. later. Made me so happy. Literally this morning, had a lesson this morning. A student of mine learned more of a tune than I thought she would have in the time since I'd seen her last. Yeah. And the the joy, like just the sheer joy of that for me. Yeah. For her, like to to see how she proud she was yeah. of it and to hear it, because uh, then I, it feels like a you know it feels like a victory for me because it's like well I I. I kept her inspired enough to, you know, want to do it or, or maybe she's afraid of me. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is, you know? Sure. Yeah. But you there's, but there's yeah. real pleasure in that. And, and the connecting people, I cannot, like, it makes me, makes me tear up when I think about it. I get text messages sometimes or emails. Um, this happened just recently of a couple of campers who ran into each other at a festival. Yeah. And we're like, oh, I know you from camp. Yeah. And then they send me a picture of themselves yeah. hanging out. Yeah. Playing music together. Yeah. It's like, I did that. Yeah. I provided, I made that excess, I made that situation so that they could meet and then have a joyous experience, for, you know? Yeah. That, that makes me all verklempt. <laughs> it just does. It's, it's been interesting meeting people in the old time community because there are people who have started at all different periods of their lives with all varying degrees of uh, agency with their instruments and with the music mm -hmm. and wisdom uh, around it. Mm -hmm. And 
something I think that I've noticed maybe is a pattern. This is ane purely anecdotal. I'm just throwing it out there. But the people who grew up playing this music, mm -hmm. specifically some sort of traditional music, right? Uh, they have almost a almost an attitude of taking it for granted, and I don't mean that in the derogatory sense. I know I exactly mean, what you mean. Yeah, uh, like they shouldn't take it for granted, but almost just like they're like, yeah, when I play music, it's just like walking my dog or like do, cooking a meal or something. This is just a thing that is another very natural aspect of my life that I can expect to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I might find fleeting moments of pleasure in it. Mm -hmm. But what are the ways that uh, I can use this, this music mm -hmm. to get my other needs met? Often those needs are having community and purpose mm -hmm. and connection with other people. Yes. And all of that. Yeah. I, I have a very interesting anecdote about that, that has driven a lot of my decision-making and my thought processes over the years. And that is, I moved here to Nashville in 2005 and, um, where we sit right now is just about a mile from my first place that I rented in Nashville, as a matter of fact. And, um, so I feel very connected to this, this, uh, specific mm. area, which is cool. But I went back. So I'm from California. I grew up in, in way Northern California in Redding, but my, I'm from the Bay area originally. And I was living in the Bay area when I moved out here. So I was very involved in the Bay area bluegrass scene when I moved out here. And so it moved out here in 2005 in about 2006, maybe seven ish, somewhere in there. Uh, went back to the Bay Area for a visit, brought a friend of mine with me who is from central Kentucky. And uh, his dad was an MC at bluegrass festivals his whole life. He'd been playing the bass since he was, I don't know, five, six, you know, standing on a milk crate, Friday night jams at their house, that kind of thing. You get the idea. We go to a jam. I'm like, let's go to a jam, you know? So we go to the jam at McGrath's um, and pub in Alameda and there we are in the Bay Area and there's, I don't know, 30, 40 people there. It's like a, it was a successful jam, you know, really popular. And so we played a few tunes and then we're just sitting at the bar, just, you know, hanging out. And a woman comes up and she's like, oh, you're here. That's so cool. You know, good to see you, blah, blah. How's Nashville? We're chatting for a minute. And, and then she kind of gets this sort of panicky look in her face. She's like, I, I got to get back to the jam. And I was like, all right, you know, cool. We're just, you know, no, no worries. And she goes, I just love this jam. Nobody talks. There's no, you know, everybody gets here and they just get down to business and they just play a bunch of songs and, you know, and there's no, there's no messing around, you know? And she leaves. And my friend's like, that was so stressful. Like, he was like, what is that about? Yeah. And I said, I'll tell you what it's about. These are people who are working 80 hours a week. Yeah. They are converts. They just discovered bluegrass five yeah. minutes ago. Yeah. Right. And they are holding on to it with dear life for dear life. And they are, um, they, they can't take it for granted because they've never had an opportunity to take it for granted because it is incredibly new and, um, it feels so fragile right. to them. 
And he was like, God, he goes, Friday nights at my house, man, we might get through five songs. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, because you knew you'd get to do it again the next Friday night. Yeah. He's like, exactly. There was no pressure. You know, we'd, we'd play a song and then, you know, shoot the shit and have, you know, three beers and, you know, maybe play another one or whatever. And I was like, yeah, exactly. And I remember that so distinctly. And because probably 95% of my students at this point are adult bluegrass learners yes. who are getting, you know, and, and old time to some degree as well, who are getting into jamming and starting that journey and, you know, trying to connect and trying yeah. to figure out their, you know, find their way through it. I really think about that a lot and how how they don't take it for granted. But that can also lead to putting a lot of pressure on themselves and stressing themselves out and having the jams not be right. lovely, relaxed, pleasurable. Yeah. You know, so I have to help them find the pleasure in it. Yeah. You know, because otherwise a lot of the Bay Area people are there because they are driven. They're focused. You know, you're a Portland guy, you know. Yeah. You know. People are always talking about the West Coast as if it's super chill. It's the least chill place on no. the planet. There's nothing <laughs> so not chill about chill, it. Yeah. Well, and there's nothing so, chill about having to pay three grand a month no. for a one-bedroom apartment, right? Yeah. Like, you can't, there's no time to be chill. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to make a living, right? So, I, I think about that kind of thing a lot. And I'm, I'm not all that chill about it either. But I don't jam all that much because I never really played music to play music. Right. I know that now. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. You know, I jam if I feel like people need me to, like if my students are there, if it, if I feel like my presence will be helpful. And there are a few people that I enjoy jamming with because, you know, Adam Hurt's a great example. We come at music from a very yeah. similar place. Yeah. You know, he and I um, intellectualize it a sure. lot, as you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> so we have that in common, you know. Right. We love playing music together because we do and don't like all the same things about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that's really nice. It's one because of you know that it'll be a specifically, actually sonically yes. pl pleasurable experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also know that when he walks in the door, whatever I will have expected of him or vice versa will be met. Yeah. You know, he doesn't show up if he's not going to do what, yeah. you know, what he said he was going to do. Yeah. And I feel the same way. So it's like, and Tristan is the same way with this, yeah. with this John Hartford fiddle tune project thing, the three of us. Our first rehearsal was, it was almost laughable because it was just like, I don't even know why we're doing this. Let's just go play these tunes. Yeah. <laughs> we know. Lovely. We know. Yeah. You know. You're practicing your whole life for this. <laughs> Been in training for this moment. Yeah. Since the day I was born. <laughs> I saw, a, there's a guy running for Congress here in Tennessee and his tagline is conservative since conception. Oh, wow. <laughs> like that it's amazing it's a good tagline you know if that's your if that's your jam oh, but like but i do feel like that in terms of just not that part like <laughs> i'm sorry you really just like i know i just, I, said it. I, I, I just like went a whole nother place is that self-parody like it's if a, only oh my god <laughs> dot 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 it's like I, you can't make that stuff up no no he he sure did though <laughs> It's phenomenal. Yeah. All right. Let's play another <laughs> tune and then let's talk more about the John Hartford yeah, project yeah, yeah. and everything else, all the ways people can uh, keep up to date with the, the things sure. you're doing, um, the experiences you're facilitating. The... <laughs> but what should we play first? Let's play. Do you know John Rice by any chance? Have you heard this tune? No. So it's a G tune 
and it's the easiest thing in the entire world. Great. And it's one of the John Hartford tunes. Okay, great. I love this tune so much because it is, I think, the easiest tune in the entire John Hartford book. But it's one of the most lovely little melodies. And I feel like, because I've said before, accessibility is my biggest thing. Yeah. Like, I want people to feel like they can have a piece of whatever it is they want. And I feel like this tune yeah. is, is, so, is a way in to this whole project right yeah and so i just it makes me happy this little tune because yeah. when i play it i think about other people playing it and i think about other people learning it and going oh i thought these were all going to be really hard yeah. but this is all right i could do this and then you know yeah then it makes me cry <laughs> <laughs> i get all excited <laughs> cool let's play it i'm like i'm such a dork that way <laughs> um I think that this would fall under Rachel Eddy's... I think this is a dorky tune. Oh, very good. I really do. Yeah. It's not quite as dorky as some of the other ones that they have in their list, right? Yeah, yeah. But I do think that... I, I would like to nominate it for inclusion. Some adorkability in Ex this one. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> cool. All right, John Rice. So good. All right. Thank you. 
the sweetest. It's the best. It's the it's best. So good. It makes me so happy. Wow. I just because you just can just do it, and the the. Uh, you could just do it. You can just do it is the thing. That's the thing. One part goes kind of down, and yeah. then the next part goes kind of up. Yeah. <sighs> it feels like a little etude. It does, and it feels yeah. like it's already been written, yeah. you know? Like yeah. it was written before it was written. Sure. You know? Yeah. It just feels like it's always existed. I was just waiting for some, you know, somebody to find it. It was just sitting over there. <laughs> or actually right over there, yeah. you know? In a bush somewhere. <laughs> right over at John's house. So... Mm -hmm. Tell us all more about the John Hartford project. So the John Hartford Fiddle Tune project, I I got into this in such a backwards way that it is very funny to me because I have sometimes thought like, okay, this is the weirdest answer to your question. Um, Can't wait. Don't ever give me open-ended questions. Um, it's your own. You've, you've created it to your own demise. Um, so when I was in ninth grade, I um, put on acrylic nails over the summer right before the start of ninth grade. Okay. Neon orange. Oh, great. It was 1989. Neon was having its moment, yeah. right? And... It was my very, um, what I thought, unsubtle way of saying, I'm not a fiddle player anymore. That's not who I am. Yeah. Because clearly I can't because I've got these on now. Right. Right? They're long. They're long. Yeah. They're like, they're right. like full, you know. And it was a way of like, you ever do something to put yourself in a position so that you can or can't do something? Yeah. Right? That was yeah. that. I was like, well, I have these nails, so sorry, yeah. can't I can't be your fiddle player anymore. Something about the nails that there's there's so much power in in like the way that we present and like the the message that we're trying to yes. <laughs> communicate. One hundred percent. I mean, you know, this is me now with my super short nails, and that's the way I have to live, and I have to sure. stay on top of them or whatever. Yeah. But that was my big moment of like, yeah. I'll show you. I'm tired of being your dog and pony show. Yeah. Right? Like. How old again? Ninth grade. Ninth grade. Right. Yep. Okay. That tracks. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I was heavy into show choir at that time. I was also heavy into trying to be cooler. Sure. <laughs> and, and being a fiddle champion was getting less and less cool by right. the minute. Right? right. As a kid, as a younger kid, it was like this huge source of pride, huge source of Because adults understand it. Yes. Right. And I'm winning. Right. I'm a winner. Right. At that point, I had won, I don't know, four national championships. Yeah. Right. And my picture was in the paper a lot. I, you know, it was a relatively small town. What else are you going to talk about? Um, and so this was... I, I was much more concerned about like boys and, um, you know, like looking cool and, and all of that stuff. So I say that to say that I, I have sometimes resented feeling like the fiddle is the thing that drives everything about me. Yeah. Right. I wanted to figure out who I was as a person other than this thing. And so once, once I had got older, I started to figure out like, oh, there's a way to do that without just like putting on a bunch of acrylic nails and trying to shove the world away, you know, sure. 
therapy again, (laughs) (laughs) read a couple of self-help books, you know, um, stuff like that. But I, I got a call from, um, from my very best friend, Mary Sue England, who is uh, a multi-instrumentalist side person, songwriter, awesome, uh, that I toured with, with Pam Tillis for years. And she's amazing. But she's also a designer. She's a book designer and uh, and CDs and things like that. And she's brilliant at it. And she called and said, you're going to get a call from John Hartford's daughter. Do you know who John Hartford is? And I was like, <laughs> I do, I do. And she said, well, I'm designing this book um, of some like tunes for John Hartford. And um, they need somebody to like edit, like copy edit some of the things. And I know that you do copy editing. And I thought maybe it would be a good fit because you also play the fiddle and like, maybe, you know, you would like be interested in these and you'd have a a good knack for being able to like, not just copy edit in terms of like the technicalities of it, but also be able to read through some of the stuff and make sure things were fine. And I was like, that's so random that I would get that call for, from, for being a copy editor, not for being, yeah, and that, that, you know, so, so anyway, so John's daughter, Katie Harford Hogue called me and was like, Hey, um, I think we know some of the same people and, you know, Matt Combs is working on that. I was like, absolutely. Matt started all my camps and, you know, we're friends, whatever. And, um, she said, so could you look over some of the text and, you know, and so, you know, very quickly I was fully ensconced in this project, but as, as the copy editor, and then as we started going along, you know, she was like, you know, she explained the project to me and the project, you know, in a nutshell is the last 20 years of John Hartford's life. He wrote over 3000 fiddle tunes. Oh my God. 3000. Yeah. And when he died, there they were. In spiral right. bound notebooks. Most of them not recorded. Like 2950 of them. Yeah. Ne- or n- never even seen. Yeah. Played, recorded, ne- let alone recorded. Yeah. And, and she said, so we're doing this book. Matt has picked out 176 of the tunes that he thinks are, you know, like a good representation of, of the, the tunes. Um, and this book is going to be about my dad's version, my dad's journey of obsession with the fiddle, right? So when he found out he was sick, he basically put the banjo down and was just like the fiddle. This is my life. That's all I care about. And so, and, and it was really, you know, certainly there was a big Ed Haley piece in there for him. Um, as many of us know already, you know, he certainly brought so many of those Ed Haley tunes back into the, you know, into the consciousness or into the consciousness for the first time, you know, for people, but, but it was also Texas style. It was Texas shorty. And I need to say this, this is an important thing. This, you know, how you said, if you forget to say something, we can talk about it later. I'm going to say it now. So I don't forget to say it. My favorite album is John Hartford and Texas shorty Hmm. old sport. Mm. period it's my favorite record in any genre mm. i love it so much it changed everything about the way i play music what how i think about music tunes what mattered to me all of that and so i say that because that was recorded in this part of john hartford's journey he you know reached out to shorty and tricked him into making this album right and they recorded it you know right next door uh, at like three in the morning and Shorty, I went and interviewed Shorty about this record, which was a really great thing. Shorty's been a friend of mine for years because I've come from that world, the Texas style world. But he was like, I did not know that we were recording. And then John was like, oh, hey, by the way, 
Oh my God. <laughs> Let's put out this record. And Shorty was like, great. So you can yeah. hear there's some mistakes. There's some, you know, there's just some moments of, you know, uh, spontaneity on it. It's great. But anyway, um, the book just turned into this incredible masterpiece, I think. I think it's, I think it's really stunning. Um, Mary Sue did a great job designing it. But I got to actually write some of the text for it. I ended up, you know, um, and then taking, transcribing some of the interviews that they had done around the book to go with the stories and stuff. And so then the book comes out, people are like, that's amazing. John Hartford wrote all these new, that here's 176 tunes that nobody even knew existed. Here they are out there in the world. And okay, let's, you know, and then Katie's like, let's make a record. Right. So then they make a record and it's, you know, and she asked, then she's like, you have to play on the record, you know? And I'm like, okay. So Tristan Scroggins and I did uh, several tracks on the record. And of course it's Brittany Haas and Tim O'Brien and yeah. all the uh, just incredible people. And then the record comes out three days later, the entire world goes on lockdown. Yeah. And the record did get nominated for a Grammy. We are a Grammy losing um, album. <laughs> so delighted. Um, big ups to Billy Strings. He did put out a great record, so yeah. it's okay. It's all right. We can lose to Billy. If you're going to lose, yeah, it's yeah, all right. Sure. <laughs> um, no shame in that game. Um, but about six months ago, six, eight months ago, Katie called me and she said, I really want more people to know these tunes. The record was not about necessarily selling records or selling books or whatever. It was about adding more to the canon. Yeah. And and sharing with people John's obsession with the fiddle and his journey of writing fiddle tunes and learning more about the fiddle and all of that. So would you and Tristan consider going out and playing some of these tunes? Yeah. And I called Tristan and he was like, we should probably get Adam Hart. And I was like, I would have thought of that first. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and so we called Adam, we were like, and he was like, wait, what? And I was like, we're going to, let's go play these Hartford tunes from the book. Yeah. And he was like, with you and Tristan? Absolutely. Hmm. So we became the, um, the current John Hartford Fiddle Tune Project, the tour. Yeah. But the idea is that this may not be the only iteration of it. Sure. And it may be this, hopefully, this sort of living, changing, breathing thing Maybe five years from now, it's three completely different people or five completely different people or me and two different people or Tristan and one other person, right. whatever. Right. The idea being that let's just be sort of living, breathing proponents of getting new tunes out there so that people can see that old time can still be a moving, growing, yeah. changing thing, right? Yeah. yeah. We don't have to keep playing new five cents, which we do love. Right. But but what about... Think about Squirrel Hunters, right? Yep. Which John Hartford did not write, although lots of people think that he did. But what he did was say, why, why isn't this tune yeah. a big deal? Let's make this tune a big deal. Yeah. And so that's what... And people are sending us their videos of them playing the tunes already from, from like the few shows that we've done really already. Exciting. Oh, yeah. it like, it yeah. freaks me out. It's like, we're having... An, an effect on, on, you know, I think about Chris Cool, you know, Chris Cool, one of my favorite, like, I generally have a rule, I don't put a record out unless it has a Chris Cool song on it. Sure. <laughs> I think, I think anyone uh, who's thinking about anything should put a Chris Cool song on all their records. But, but that idea that, that we can still be adding to, you know, his tune, Paul David, I, you know, for like in, oh God, in the mid like 2010s, 
I, you could not get out of a jam without playing Paul David. Like it was the hot moment, you know, and there's just, there should just be lots of tunes like that. Yeah. You know, um, Whiteface is a great example, yeah. a new old time tune, you know, and that's why I'm hoping like, well, in Tennessee politics, one of the yeah. Hartford tunes is having that kind of moment, which is great. You know, so we're, we're, we're doing like a couple tours a year, maybe a couple festivals. Um, and so far so good yeah like i'm i'm loving it so much and people are being super cool about it i will say john hartford fans are some of the most committed you mm. know and i do now understand what it's like i mean not to this extent but i do understand a little bit about like katie his daughter has talked to me about what it's like hearing from people people when somebody affects their lives so much, people want to share that, you know? Yeah. And our first gig that we did up in Missouri, I don't think we were out of the car five minutes before somebody was like standing next to me with a stack of photos yeah. of them with John Hartford yeah. from like 30 years ago, you yeah. know? People, people are really, really connected to that. And I love it. It's exciting. And so then I get to be a part of like moving that thread forward, yeah. which feels unbelievably heavy a little bit it's joyful but it's also heavy but it's exciting so yeah that's what we're up to amazing thanks yeah well we have time for one more tune perfect episode proper do you have another tune from that from the album that i could could... do tennessee politics do you know it yeah i think i've i think i've played it i have to remember the b part oh and I will also say about Tennessee politics and John Rice, um, one of the things that we're doing as part of touring is we are um, including workshops with a lot Perfect. of the concerts. Yeah. And these are the two tunes that we've been teaching um, as part of that. So um, we're doing this format where it's like Tristan's dealing with the mandolin guitars. I'm taking the fiddle people. Adam Hurt's taking the banjo people. We're teaching John Rice and Tennessee politics and then all coming together and doing like giant string band moment, you know, because that we're trying to create new classics, you know, and John Rice, again, super accessible. Tennessee politics, I think is one of the kick-ass melodies out there right now. Yeah. I, I, people seem to really respond to it. So yeah, I'm excited about that element of what we're doing. You know what I mean? I think that's cool. So before we get into Tennessee politics, yes. <laughs> where do people go in general to follow the things that you're doing? Oh, I yeah. Al- I got so excited about the tune that I forgot to Listen, <laughs> send people to websites. And what things. a, what a yeah. delightful problem to have. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Listen, you, you don't have to worry. I wouldn't forget to promote myself. Please. <laughs> I've been around this block a yeah. time or two. We're I mean, in Nashville. <laughs> I mean, yeah. hello. Somebody next door just wrote a song and I got 33% of it just by Hell doing yeah. That's how it works. Um, God, I can't, you know, I've been here almost 20 years now and um, I've never once been late on my mortgage. I'm proud to say, Mm. Uh, which is, I feel uh, in and of itself a success. Um, Okay. So places to find me are, are many, they are myriad. So the main, the main clearinghouse for me is fiddlestar.com yeah. and that's all my social media too. So Instagram is fiddlestar, um, Facebook is fiddlestar music. Um, just if you, if you go fiddlestar, you kind of can't Great. go wrong. Um, but I am one of, I am the newest instructor, uh, on fiddlevideo.com, okay, which I'm super excited about. Um, next time in, I'm in Bend filming, can we please hang out? Absolutely. I'll fly into Portland. Yeah. And then we could like be friends, 
Yes. I mean, maybe yeah. if you feel like now it yeah. feels like we could. I'll say it on record. Okay, yes. great. Oh, uh, and I'll say it off you, record. Did you hear too. it? Yeah. Okay, great. Everyone, um, Cameron and I are going to be friends and we're going to hang out in Portland. Um, yeah, I didn't know you were recording that in Bend. Yes. Well, yeah, right that's around the corner. Where, that's where Casey Willis is. Um, cool. And so um, I'm doing fiddlevideo.com, which I'm just so... I'm so excited about because he asked me to come as sort of a Texas contest style mm. teacher. And then um, without him even realizing it, I turned, I, I've ended up doing like a bunch of my favorite bluegrass stuff. Okay. Like, and, and I just sort of snuck all of that in and that's by far like been really popular there. And I'm really proud of it yeah. because a lot of it has to do with jamming and stuff that is just stuff I want people. Cause you know, I want, I just want people to have victories, you know? Yeah. So fiddlevideo.com and then, um, all the camps. So we do, despite our best efforts to stop doing 10 camps a year, mm. <laughs> we keep doing 10 <laughs> camps a year. Um, nashvilleacousticcamps.com. Great. And so Clawhammer Banjo, that's coming up Labor Day weekend. That's our next camp. Perfect. Clawhammer Lovely. and fiddle and all of that stuff. Um, so there you go. That's me. Yeah. Oh, and Hartford Project Tour. Okay. Dot right. com. So, but because I still have a competitive nature and that's part of, I need challenges. The Fiddle Tune Video Library, which is a group on Facebook, um, started the 2022 Advanced Players Challenge wow. this year. And the admins choose a tune every week, one a week, and quote-unquote advanced or pro players can record a version of them doing it and posting it. Yeah. Um, I decided I was going to do every single one of them. Yeah, cool. And so far, have not missed a one. Um, and it's I've had to learn Scottish tunes and Irish tunes and Canadian tunes. I, know, I have no business doing half <laughs> of the things I'm doing up there. But I've gotten way better at all that stuff, yeah. you know? Huh. And, and then every once in a while they throw me a bone and I get a Texas style one or yeah, a bluegrass yeah, yeah. one. And it's like, oh, thank God, Kenny Baker tunes. Yay! <laughs> you know? Um, but anyway, so the Fiddle Tune Video Library Advanced Ch Players Challenge. And I post those also on my own social media. Yeah, great. So, yeah, those are some things that cool. you can hang out with me during and near. Um, all right, Tennessee politics. Let's do this one.
Megan is on tour in California with Tristan Scroggins and Adam Hurt for the John Hartford Fiddle Tune Project. They start in Red Bluff on Thursday the 13th, then Sacramento on Friday, Petaluma on Saturday, I don't know if I said that right, and Berkeley on Sunday with workshops before. So go check them out. You can find links at hartfordprojecttour.com. For everyone else, you can follow Megan at fiddlestar.com and at fiddlestar and at Fiddlestar Music on Instagram and Facebook, respectively. She's got new lessons up at fiddlevideo.com, and of course, check out nashvilleacousticcamps.com. I can't recommend them enough. Just going to plug the one thing this week, and that's to support this podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. That and all of Megan's stuff is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support come back same time next week to get up in the cool.